Thank you for, uh, for your singing. Thank you, Howard, for bringing uh, our brother's soon uh, return home to mind. Um, one of the things you said kind of caught my attention because it's connected to something I'm going to say. <laughs> but uh, you said, we travel all over the world. And um, I, I think we need to be careful. Some of us travel all over the world. <laughs> um, you know, as, as a family with uh, four young children, we're a little bit limited in what we can do. And uh, because of that, when we do get to travel, it's very special. And last year, in the Lord's providence, we had an opportunity to travel to Hawaii as a family, and so we were really excited. The reason was my sister was getting married there, so my parents were helping us out. We, we would have a hard time doing a trip like that on ourselves. So my parents were helping us out. Uh, that's not the way to Hawaii, but that's a good try. Um, but uh, so we were really excited. And uh, we, went to, it, we went on a Sunday evening. So we, and that's already a sign of trouble, you know, if you're living on Sunday evening. But, uh, you know, we went to church that morning, you know, packed up the, the van. Uh, Uncle Matt was kind enough to drive us to the airport. And, uh, you know, we were excited in the airport. You know, here's our plane coming. Okay, kids, let's go on the plane. We're still excited. And then there's this five-hour flight. And uh, you, you lose some of your excitement during that five-hour flight, especially with four, you know, kids with you. And, uh, you know, then we arrived there. Okay, you know, now we're in Hawaii. Well, you know, it's a little bit kind of warm and sticky, you know, not, not the best part of Hawaii. And uh, you have to get the rental car. So there we are with a couple of large suitcases and bags. You know, we're loading our children as much as we can to help with all the stuff. We were there for, uh, I think, like nine, 10 days. So we bought quite a few things. And, uh, you know, you find the bus that's supposed to take you to the rental car, and you're trying to squish with everybody else that's going there. And uh, you get to the rental place, and there's a line for like an hour. And by now, you know, California time is like midnight. You know, Hawaii, it's 9 p.m. And you're pretty tired. And maybe some of that joy you felt when you're about to leave has kind of departed. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have a, another ride. You know, I have to drive for about an hour before we get to a rental place, to the place my parents were renting. Uh, for us. So that kind of connects to our thoughts this morning. As uh, the author of the Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews, uh, these people were believers for some time. You know, as believers, we have a hope. What's our hope? What is it that gets us excited, or especially at first when we're just saved? Yeah, being with the Lord Jesus, heaven, heaven. And, uh, but sometimes, you know, Christian life is long. And it's difficult. And uh, we lose some of that excitement. And that was the case with, with the Hebrews. They've been through some hard times now. And uh, there seems to have been some discouragement that set in the church that uh, the author is writing to. And he's trying to encourage them. And in this passage, he will, he will do so by trying to restore to them this expectation of heaven. Right? It's not going away just because you've been struggling for a while. It doesn't mean that heaven is any less exciting and special than the first day you were saved. 
And you know what? You're actually closer now than you were before. I remember, you know, getting into the rental car and, you know, we had these big suitcases and the minivan we rented wasn't quite as large as the minivan we have here. And you couldn't even, the, the, the chairs, the back row, I mean, you couldn't even bring the chairs all the way up. So there was my poor two girls, you know, and the chairs, you know, you, know you, could, you can't lie down and relax in this last hour you have. But, you know, we're really close now. We're just an hour away. And you can relax. Of course, we get there and it's dark and we can't find the place. But that's, you know, another part of the story. But we in the Christian life, you know, we're closer now than when we began. We're closer, to, and heaven is not any less wonderful than it was the day we were saved. And, you know, God wants us to be encouraged. He wants us to still have that excitement about heaven that we had the day we were saved. <clears throat> so Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So the author does a number of things here to encourage us. First, he's, he reminds us who we, who we are, right? The very beginning we have, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. These are what we would call mark of true believers. These are people who are going to heaven, right? And so we are always, uh, when we look at a, at a passage, we want to make sure we get the context right. He's writing here to believers. There's no question that these people will get to heaven. Right? They're headed to heaven. They just need to be encouraged about it. Right? We're, not, we're not questioning their, their, their destination, just how excited they are about it at this particular moment. Now, what are the signs that you're going to heaven? Well, this is not why you're going to heaven, but some things that we'll, you'll find with people who are going to heaven, one is they're holy. We understand that there's a positional holiness. Christ makes us holy. But there's also a practical, right? Um, we don't do what people in the world do. And if I find that when I have lunch with my coworkers, or often go and visit with my family in LA, they have a different standard than I do. They think, you know, do what makes you happy. I mean, that's the rule of the world. Do whatever makes you happy. Right? One of the, I think the part of our, of, of, what is it? Declaration of Independence, or what's a document that assures us the pursuit of happiness? Forget. But, uh, you know, we as believers, we want to do what makes God happy. Right? That's our priority. It's a different priority than the world. Right? I don't think it's okay to do whatever makes me happy. Now, I know also in the long run it's not really going to make me happy. 
But I mean, to start with, it, there's something wrong if I'm just thinking about myself, right? I recognize that's not right. Very different from the world. Uh, another, uh, we're, we're brethren. You know, we just saw it. You know, we connect with a brother from Bulgaria. We just get to meet him, and we can tell he's a fellow believer in the Lord Jesus, and we're as close to him as to a brother, right? It's a unique relationship between all believers that we can have. Another is we have a heavenly calling. I remember when uh, Eric uh, shared his testimony. He was, he was saved. Uh, and the first thing that came to his mind, if I remember correctly, is I don't have to finish school. <laughs> right? Because, you know, we go to school. Why? So we can get a good job. Why? So we can make a lot of money. Why? So we can have a, you know, high, high uh, style of, uh, what do you call it, life? Lifestyle? High lifestyle? Good lifestyle? You know, retirement? Be able to pay for your kids' college. <laughs> you know, and we have all these things that we're concerned with in this world, and all of a sudden, you know, none of that really happens, you know, matters. Why? Because I'm going to heaven, right? You know, there's something that relieves me from all my earthly brethren. And this kind of upward look to heaven is something unique to believers, right? We don't, we're not as concerned with the things of the world. They're just not as important because we know that there's, we have an eternity with God. And, you know, when I get to heaven, it doesn't matter how many letters are after my name. Right? It doesn't matter how much money is in my bank account. Right? I want to concern myself with heavenly things, souls of people, eternal people, who will be either with God for all of eternity or away from God for all of eternity. That matters, right? That has eternal consequences. We, we live with heavenly... Perspective and all of this, I was thinking of uh, an animal uh, called a salmon. Anybody here likes salmon? Yeah. We're talking about the live thing now. <laughs> uh, what's neat about salmon is uh, they swim against the current, right? Uh, they 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 live their maturity, if you would, a mature life in the ocean, and then when it comes time. They hit the stream. They call it a salmon run. And they will swim against the current. Uh, some for as much as 900 miles. Uh, and they keep going up. And they'll jump waterfalls like this one. They'll jump as high as 12 feet to get up a waterfall. Uh, and they, some will attain up to 7,000 feet of elevation. And that's kind of like us believers, right? We go against the current. <laughs> you know, we're holy. And... Uh, you know, we're minded of heavenly thing. We want to see how high we can get. Now, we understand, you know, God will take us that infinite high to heaven. But in the meantime, we want to live as, as close as we can to God. Live a life consistent of, with heaven. Okay. The next thing he does is he reminds us of the reason we're going to heaven or why we have confidence. I don't have confidence I'm going to heaven because I'm living a holy life or heavenly minded. I have confidence because of, of the Lord Jesus. Right? He says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus is our apostle. What does an apostle mean? An apostle is somebody who brings you a message. Right? We are familiar with the word epistle. Right? Epistle is a letter. Right? A apostle is a person who's bringing you a message from somebody else. So the 12 apostles, or the apostles of the New Testament, 
there were people who brought messages from the Lord Jesus, right? They were his messengers, so we called them apostles. Well, Jesus was really the first apostle. He brought to us the message from God. And what was the message he brought us from God that makes us think of, of heaven? He said this to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Why do we think we're going to heaven? Because Jesus said so. Right? He's our apostle. Right? He's the one who brought us the message. Right? I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right? I'm coming back and I'm taking you. Right? That's why we have a hope of heaven, because he promised. Right? It's his word. Second, it's his word. It's also his work. He is not just the apostle. He's also the high priest. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about the high priest in chapters to come in the book of Hebrews. But suffice it to say that in God's economy of, of the nation of Israel, he uh, set up a priesthood. And uh, there was one person who was the high priest, and his responsibility was to uh, bridge the gulf between the nation of Israel and God, because God is holy. And the nation of Israel wasn't holy, they were sinners. Same is true about us. We are sinful, God is holy. We need somebody to bridge that infinite distance, right? And the person who's doing it for us is Jesus, right? He's our high priest. He's the one who makes us right with God. He's the one who connects us to God. He's the high priest. He's the one who makes things right with God. <clears throat> now, the high priest in the Old Testament did so with sacrifices, animal sacrifices. Jesus did it by actually offering himself. Right? He paid. The only way God could settle our sins, make us right with him, is having someone pay the, pen the penalty for the sins that we deserve. And that person is the Lord Jesus. He paid the penalty for our sins. He made the way for heaven for us. So it's, we're not just trusting in Jesus' word that we're going to heaven. We're trusting in his work as well. Right? It's what Jesus did that will get me to heaven, not anything that I'm going to do. Okay. Now, next the author gives us two reasons, two strong reasons of why we should trust in Jesus to get us to heaven. So he said he would, and he's the one who will do the work to make it happen. But what other reasons are there for us to trust him? To trust him to be able to do what he said he would do. Now he says this in verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. So one reason we should trust that Jesus will get us to heaven is because he's, he's, he was faithful. Jesus was faithful in what he's previously done. Demonstrate he will be faithful in getting us all the way to heaven. Uh, then he brings in an example. He said, as Moses was also was faithful in all his house. So he, he, he compares Jesus here to Moses. 
And uh, as I mentioned earlier on, the author of the Hebrews has this, call it knack, you know, he's led by the Holy Spirit, of pulling out texts from the Old Testament, this, what seems to us these obscure places, and using them to support his point. And here he's actually pulling a verse from the Old Testament. The phrase, Moses also was faithful in all his house, is taken directly out of a passage in the book of Numbers. So we'll go ahead and we'll go there first to see the analogy that God is creating. He's saying Jesus will be faithful in getting us to heaven, and we know it because he's been faithful up to now. And then he jumps to Moses and says, just as Moses was also faithful. So let's look first at the example of the faithfulness of Moses and how it relates to the faithfulness of Christ and assuring us that Christ will take us to heaven. So we'll have to go to Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1. <clears throat> Numbers 12 and verse 1 says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So Moses was the man that God used to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And uh, it, there were kind of two steps. The first step is he, he comes to Egypt and uh, he tells Pharaoh to let them go and he brings all these judgments with him so Pharaoh finally lets them go and they come out of Egypt. But now there's another part where he needs to lead them into the promised land. They haven't yet arrived, if you would, to the fullness of God's salvation until they're in the promised land. And here is in between. They're in the wilderness, right? They're, they're in between, if you would, these two sides of salvation that Israel was experiencing. And uh, he marries an Ethiopian woman. Now, there's nothing says that he was doing anything wrong by marrying this Ethiopian woman. We do know that Moses was previously married, but we don't really know what happened to that. Uh, it could be his wife died. Uh, this is a second marriage. Um, um, in those days, you were technically permitted to marry more than one wife. So, I mean, there's nothing that tells us what he did was wrong. But apparently, Aaron and Miriam feels he did something wrong. And they kind of step forward and say, you know what? Moses has failed us. But it's okay because God has spoken through us also. So they, they kind of want Israel to now follow them instead of, or at least in addition to following Moses. So they're questioning God's man, the man that God has, 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 has uh, elected, if you would, to lead Israel through the wilderness and bring them to the promised land is now being questioned. Can this man really do the job? And here's how God responds. Verse 3 is a comment about Moses. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. So Moses is not defending himself here. Right? God is going, going to take action. So suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, Make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. 
Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. That's the, those are the words from Hebrews. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So God comes here very strongly on Moses' side and saying, He is my man. He is the one I'm going to use to, to lead Israel to the promised land. How dare you speak against him? Right? Now, he calls to mind the faithfulness of Moses. Right? He says, he was faithful in all my house. And that really should have been a mark to Israel. They should have remembered, you know, Moses is a faithful man. How did Moses show himself faithful? First, he, uh, he, he, in response to God's word, and we don't have that word specifically mentioned in the scripture, but somehow God told him that uh, he was going to save Israel through him while Moses was still part of the ruling family of Egypt. So Moses was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. So he's now in, right? That's the best place you could be. He's in the ruling family. That was perhaps uh, the greatest empire on the face of the earth at the time. The ruler family was considered divine. They had at their disposal, disposal all the treasures of Egypt. To this day, we discovered dead pharaohs, and we're amazed at the treasures that were buried with them. How much more treasures did they have when they lived? I mean, this was the life of Moses. And he leaves all that in response to God's word and identifies himself with slaves. And he says, you know what? None of that matters. I'm going to join here with the slaves, and I'm going to help them out in their situation. Right? I mean, Moses did a lot, right? Before you, you throw you know, Moses out, think about what this man did for you, right? And uh, he's not well received by the Jews. And they, in fact, say, you know, who made you a ruler over us? And he leaves. And he goes and he spends 40 years in the backside of the desert where God is working in his life and making him indeed the humblest man on the face of the earth. It wasn't an exaggeration. It was true. God brought Moses to that point. And uh, God then tells him, okay, go back to Egypt, and I'm going to use you to get them out. Uh, and Moses goes back, right? I mean, that's a lot. Go back to these people who rejected you. And uh, he goes in and, and speaks to Pharaoh and says, you know, I understand you are the most powerful man alive, and uh, you probably enjoyed the service of this, you know, two million slaves, but I'd like to tell you I'm going to take them, right? I mean, that's not a popular message. You could imagine Pharaoh not wanting to let them go. And in fact, saying, you know, Moses, you know, you've, you've just signed your own death warrant for saying that. But Moses is faithful, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says these things. And uh, he sticks to the message. You know, God protects Moses, and he uses Moses to bring these plagues, and Pharaoh starts negotiating. And says, you know what, Moses, that's fine. I understand. You people have your God, and you want to worship your God. Fine, just do it right here in Egypt. You guys don't need to leave. Just stay right here and worship. And Moses says, not a hoof will be left behind. We're going, all of us. Right? I mean, he was faithful to them. And, uh, you know, he leads them out. He, there's a Passover story. And, uh, you know, he... he he leads them through the Red Sea. He divides the water in half. I mean, Moses has done a lot for these people. You're just going to throw him out like that? Because he married an Ethiopian woman? Think about what you're doing. 
Now, all of this is, is, again, done in view of Christ. And Christ promised to take us to heaven. And we're kind of like the Israelites. We're in between, right? I mean, the first act of salvation has happened. You know, Christ died for my sins. Praise the Lord. But you know what? I'm still here on earth, and things are, things are not always going well, right? I mean, there's difficult things in my life. There's still act two. He still needs to take me to heaven. I'm not yet in heaven. Right? Anybody here in heaven? Not yet. Right? And, and there's the question of, will he get us there? Can he do the job? And, and the, he's pointing, the author is pointing to his faithful. Look, he was faithful. Christ was faithful. So we talked about how Moses was faithful. How was Christ faithful? Well, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Moses was faithful. He he left the ruling family of Egypt and joined a race of slaves. What did Jesus do? He left the throne of heaven. Right? I'd say a step above Egypt. And, and put upon himself the form of a slave. You know, that's us. Right? Mankind. We were talking about it in our previous section of the book of Hebrews. Christ experienced every form of suffering possible to humanity. And this is excluding his payment for our sins. Right? He came like one of us. He suffered hunger. He suffered thirst. He suffered uh, being tired. Right? Whatever affliction is possible upon man, Christ has experienced in this world. He suffered loss of friend, people turning against him, his family thinking he was crazy. Right? He experienced all these things. He, he put upon himself the form of a slave. He, he was a man just like, like you and I. Right? Fully had to experience the same, if you would, lowliness of life that we have on earth compared to the throne of heaven. Right? Then uh, we talked about Moses having to deal with Pharaoh. Jesus had to deal with us. It says he had to endure the contradiction of sinners against himself. He didn't have to go to Pharaoh and say, you need to let these people go. He had to go to you and to me and say, you know, you are not doing what's right. You are not following God. You are not meeting God's standards. You're falling short, right? That's a, a message of sinners. You're, you're a sinner. You know, we don't like the S word. <laughs> you're a sinner. I'm sorry to say that. I mean, he wasn't sorry to say that, but, I mean, we don't like hearing that message. And, uh, and you know what? You're not just a sinner, but you are a helpless sinner. You can't save yourself, right? You need me to save you. You need to come and put your confidence in me, right? He had to go to every person and tell them the message that's really their most unpopular message on the face of the earth. Have you tried going to people and telling them they're sinners and uh, that they're headed to hell and that their only way out is Jesus Christ? Right? It wasn't a popular message. 
And Jesus was faithful, right? He kept on with the message. I came here not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Right? He continually worked with people. He was faithful in that message. And finally, he was faithful to the point of death. He had to provide that payment for the sacrifice. It wasn't enough to come and tell us about God. He had to provide the, the, that atoning price, the penalty for our sins. He had to die for our sins. He had to be separated from God because of what, what we did. Right? And now all these things, Jesus was faithful. He followed God's command. If, if you notice in verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. God laid out the plan of salvation and said, Jesus, you have to do this. You need to step down from the throne of heaven and become a man. And then you need to do this. You need to share the message with people. And then you need to do this. You need to go to the cross and die for their sins. And, and then you need to do this. Then you need to take them and bring them to heaven. So what's his track record so far? Is he faithful? He is faithful. Right? He, he, he went all the way. He died for our sins. He was willing to do that much. Is he going to give up now? Right? He, did, he already did the hard work. Right? Christ will bring us all the way to heaven, just like he promised. We know why, because he was faithful right? in what he did. Now, there's another reason in the rest of the passage as to why we can trust Jesus to take us to heaven. Uh, starting in verse 3, it says, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So here, Moses and Christ are being set apart. So before he compares him to Moses and says, just like Moses was faithful, Christ was faithful. But there's a difference between the two. This one was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, meaning, you know, really... We can trust in Christ more than Israel could trust in Moses to, to bring him to the promised land. And he gives two reasons. One is he says, just as he who built the house has more uh, honor than the house. I don't know if uh, any of you knows what this place is. Uh, look, can you put the picture up? First Castle, good. You guys are good. I visited Hearst Castle. Uh, some years ago, and it is a beautiful place. Uh, and it was built by this man, if you'll go to the next picture. It doesn't look nearly as good as Hearst Castle. But, uh, I mean, he was apparently a world traveler. So there are world travelers out there. And uh, he, he went to different sites in Europe, and he saw, saw all these beautiful buildings and maybe ruins from the Greek era, and he decided he's going to build this house. So go back to the picture of the house. And he built this beautiful, you know, place. We call it Hearst Castle. Uh, now, if I go to Hearst Castle, you know, I will honor Hearst Castle, right? It's a nice place. You know, I'm not going to, you know, throw my garbage there. But who should I honor more? Hearst Castle or the person who built Hearst Castle? You'd say the person who built it, right? I mean, it all came from him. He was the one who financed it. He was the one with, you know, the idea for it. He came up with the design of it. I think he worked with some architects. But he really is worthy of more glory than Hearst Castle. 
And what, what it's doing here, it's comparing Moses and Christ, and it says Moses deserves more glory, just like he who built the house has more glory than the house. So what is Moses then? He would be the house, right? And Christ is the one who built the house. So Moses, we would acknowledge, was a wonderful man, right? I mean, he would be the first to confess he is the worst of sinners, I'm sure. But, uh, I mean, we look at him in Scripture and say, boy, what a man and what he did for God. And yet, you know, here we're told, you know, who's the one who's more worthy of glory? The house, that would be Moses, or the one who made the house. You know what? God started with the same raw material that are in you and me when he made Moses. Right? He was the one who worked in Moses' life and brought Moses to the place that Moses is at. So, it really shows the power of God. If you would admire Moses and the man he is, you have to admire God and what it is that God does. Now, we're thinking of that maybe in the context of, of uh, going to heaven and God making us fit for heaven. Uh, there's a, a passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're familiar at least with the first part of it. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Who is the one who makes me fit for heaven? Well, it is Christ. I am his workmanship. Just like Christ was able to take Moses and make him into the man he was, and in fact, when we meet Moses in heaven, he'll be ten times more wonderful, God is able to take us, right, and make us fit for heaven, right? That's the work of God. It's not my work, which is why he gets the glory and I don't, <laughs> right? We can trust that Christ will take us to heaven because he is the creator of the universe. He made all things, and he can make us perfect too. That's his work of creation. We are his workmanship. And second, he compares here Christ and, um, and Moses, and he calls Moses a servant, right? He says, And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son of his own house. So on Wednesday, some of you may know, was my lovely wife's birthday, and uh, me being the good husband I am, uh, went to uh, Olive Garden to take some takeouts so she wouldn't have to cook, right? And we'll have food for the family. During the 15 minutes I was in Olive Garden, somebody decided to walk around my car and mark every panel in the side of my car with his key or, you know, some other sharp object. And, uh, you know, made me a little bit unhappy. Uh, on Monday, Lord willing, I'm going to go to a car shop and uh, you know, ask them what it'll take to fix it. 
Now, as it happens to be, I have insurance, so the insurance will probably cover it. But let's say I didn't have insurance, and I would go in there, and uh, you know, a mechanic will come out and you know, kind of take a look at my car, go around, look at all the marks, and say, you know what, Noah? We'll do this one for free, no charge. And that would be pretty nice, right? Now, you would probably, wouldn't be surprised if I would doubt his word. Right, said, you know, you're just a mechanic here. I'll go inside, I'll talk to the owner. So I go and I talk to the owner, and there's the owner, and uh, I explain I have my car outside, it's been keyed, will you take a look? He goes in, you know, he takes a look all around, and he says, you know what, Noad? We'll do this one for free. Can I take his word for it? I can, he's the owner, right? He can do that, it's his, his money, his guy's working. And in the same way, you know, Moses was a servant. You know, he told the Jews, you know, Israelite, I'm going to take you to the land of promised. It's way yonder. Just, you know, keep on keeping on and follow me and we'll get there. And you could imagine some of them might question him. Moses, you're just a servant. You know, if God would speak to us and tell us, then, you know, we will believe. You know what? God has spoken. You know what he said? I'm preparing a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions, right? It were not so I would have told you. And I'm coming back, and I'm going to get you. Those are the words of God to you, right? You can take him at his word. Okay. Um, what's the conclusion, right? We have Christ's word. We have Christ's work. We, we see that Christ was faithful, and we understand that he is the creator of the universe. We understand he is God. He has the authority to make these promises. What should be the end result? But Christ, as a son of his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You know what Christ wants you to do? He wants you to have confidence and to rejoice, right, with the fact he's taking you to heaven. Yes, the trip might be long. There may be difficulties along the way, but it doesn't change the fact. And every day is bringing you closer to heaven. So it's worth, you know, holding on to that hope and moving on. <clears throat> now, during the Christian life, as I mentioned, sometimes we, we do struggle. Uh, we talked about uh, the victorious Christian life this morning, the fact that G uh, Jesus got us the victory. And uh, the victorious Christian life could really be described as a life living in view of heaven. Uh, it doesn't mean we won't have trials and struggles along the way. But... Uh, it means, in spite of those trials, uh, uh, keeping our eyes on Christ, or putting our eyes back, back on Christ. And I had a video I wanted to show you that I thought was a good illustration of that. And it's talking about uh, our favorite animal here, the salmon. Look at the salmon and tell me what you see.
<laughs> right. You know, the way I see it, you know, our life, our life, uh, the victorious Christian life is really a life where we, we, we try to keep our eyes on the Master and on His promise on heaven and, <clears throat> and living a life consistent with eternity, right? To me, that's the victorious Christian life. And trials come into our life, and those are like the waterfalls, you know. I mean, the, you know, the salmon has no issue going, you know, even uphill until they hit this obstacle, right? Like this waterfall that we saw. And uh, God doesn't want us to get stuck. He doesn't want us to get stuck, and that becomes the end of our journey, right? That would be really sad if a salmon hits that waterfall and he says, you know what? You know, here my journey stops. And I'll just kind of swim around here in the tulies, you know, until the end of my life. I'll never really make it. You know, now, the question of eternity is never in doubt. You know, you as a believer are going to heaven. There is no question in that. The question is whether you'll keep your eyes on that, whether you'll continue to live a life that is consistent with, with God's desire to you. And so what do we do? We try to jump, right? We try to get over that barrier. And, you know, a lot of time we're like the salmon, and we don't quite jump the right direction. <laughs> Oh, we're jumping the right direction, but we just didn't have enough momentum, you know, and we get swept back, and we jump again, and we jump again. And uh, the lesson that I would take from the seven is don't quit trying. Maybe you've run into an obstacle in your life. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Don't forget the salmon. Keep jumping. Keep going for God's calling for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, first of all, that you became a man and uh, you went to the cross to assure us of your intent of taking us to heaven, Lord. How can we doubt you who went all the way to the cross to die for our sins as to your promise to also take us to be with you in heaven? And yet, Lord, we confess uh, the journey is long and often difficult, and it is uh, very easy for us to take our eyes off you and to uh, struggle with the things of this world without the encouragement that you want us to, to feel, without living a life that's consistent with your heaven. And we just pray for help, Lord, for that extra strength uh, for those of us who are struggling with, uh, with uh, waterfalls in our lives to... to uh, to, to, to jump again, Lord, and to overcome them and to enjoy the, the pleasure, the blessing of, of following you uh, with a full expectation and confidence of the joy of being with you in heaven one day. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.